Welcome. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. I'm your host today, Delaine England. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are here when it comes to defending our families and our communities. We're so happy to have you join us today. We have an amazing Liberty Mom to join us this morning, and her name is Dr. Jen Brown. And Jen, welcome. Thank you. We're so happy that you could take time to be with us today. Jen is a mother. She's a wife, a wonderful wife, and she is also the mother of five boys. She is the founder and I don't know if you're the president of the chair of Utah Citizens for the Constitution, an organization that she formed and in order to, as it says, to stand up and speak as citizens for the principles of the Constitution, also the founder of an organization, Walk of Walls of Protection of Prosperity. Boy, can you tell my eyes are not as good as they used to be? <laughs> I have my reading glasses on. Um, so, Jen, you have been very active, and you have done a great deal of research. So you have these two organizations. So briefly, just tell us a little bit about these two organizations, the purpose and what you're doing with them and why you have two organizations rather than one. Yes, we have two organizations. One is more focused on education, which is the Constitution Education Foundation. And then our Utah Citizens for the Constitution, that one can be more involved in public policy and legislation. But certainly the mission of the two organizations are the same, which is to teach and defend the principles of the Constitution, protect individual liberty, and ensure election integrity. So those are the three pillars of, of what our work is and what we know is absolutely fundamental to our republic. Fantastic. That is so awesome. Thank you, Jen. And Jen, you have done so much research as a doctor, as a researcher, and having studied anatomy and the mind and the brain so extensively, you've done so much work on pornography. And I wanted to really focus today on that issue, pornography, because you are fantastic at teaching us about how the mind works and how pornography affects the brain and affects our personalities. And we, I also want to be sure, and you're also fantastic at this, educating us as parents and citizens on how accessible pornography is, especially right now, something that I'm extremely concerned about, and that is the access of pornography in our schools. It's kind of unbelievable, really, that Pornography is so accessible in our schools and we're having such a hard time getting that out and, and standing up and protecting our children from this exposure. So why don't you start off and tell us, just tell us briefly, what, what is the effect of pornography on 
the brain, especially um, a minor's brain, a developing brain? Yes. As you said, the reason I got into public policy and legislation many, many years ago was over this issue. I, I felt a compelling interest to get involved to try to protect the rising generation. So I ended up spending about five years on and off studying the brain. I have so many different articles and studied all different kinds of aspects of the brain. And then I wrote a paper and then I, I ended up collaborating with Dr. John Wisco, who's a neuroanatomist. And we published this paper together in the Journal of Adolescence. And this paper is called The Components of the Adolescent Brain and Its Unique Sensitivity to Sexually Explicit Material. It really outlines why our youth are entitled to protection from this material because of the unique impact that it has on its brain. And we go over in the paper five main points. And the five main points are, and a lot of people know this one, an immature prefrontal cortex, which is the thinking part of the brain, and over-responsive limbic and striatal circuits. So that is our emotional part of the brain is more developed compared to the, the thinking part. And so their impulse control is much, is not nearly as good as an adult's. And then, but a lot of people don't know these others. And an adolescent, you have a heightened period for neuroplasticity, which means that your brain, the, the neural circuits will, has a higher ability to change in response to the stimulant, to the stimulants it receives. An overactive dopamine system, a pronounced AP, HPA access, axis, which is the stress response, and the augmented levels of testosterone, and the unique impact, um, stero- let's see, and the unique impact of steroid hormones, which steroid hormones, which includes testosterone, it impacts an adolescent brain differently than an adult brain, and it gives a more long-term um instructions to how the the structure of the brain is going to be. So if an adolescent is exposed to a higher level of steroid hormones than it should be, it can literally change what the structure of that brain is. And what, what that means is that it can result in a brain that you have less impulse control, less emotional control over. And it, it, it gives more, it wants to err on the side of the basal ganglia or the limbic system. And so it's, and when you view pornography, um, steroid hormones like testosterone are involved in that. And it can, it literally can change the framework of their brain as an adult. Yes. And what I've found in research that I've done is that because a, a minor's brain is still developing, if you get addicted to anything, whether it be drugs or pornography, which is a different kind of drug um that it's a lot harder to overcome it as an adult because it's actually built into the formation of your brain where if you get your brain fully developed and then you try drugs or pornography it is easier to overcome it because your brain is already set and developed and you're adding this in so it's so important and i love what you said jen is our children are entitled to grow up free 
from this kind of a an addiction and this kind of influence in their brain. They they are entitled. They deserve to allow their brains to develop free if from this we, kind of damage. They're all deserved to reach their potential. And mm-hmm. being exposed to sexually explicit material, it literally changes it can change the course of their brain development and even it can change the course of their life. They're an, a healthy um, sexual maturity. It can change all of it and it can take their potential from them. And it's just so tragic. It's so tragic. And the ability to have a bi- a, a bonding relationship with a real person Meaningful is so tainted. It's, yes. Which is so important to our fulfillment of life yes it's the number one thing that is linked to to happiness and satisfaction as the quality of our relationships it's across the board it's irrespective of how much money people have or um, different factors the number one the number one thing that links people to their level of happiness and satisfaction is the quality of their relationships that's so true jen pornography it limits their ability to to do that as you know if as they could have if they hadn't been exposed to such things and certainly um kids that get really addicted to it it has a tremendous impact on that it's so true so jen we it's it's kind of hard to believe but we both know we've been in the trenches and we both know it's very true that our schools in the state of utah across the nation but even in the state of utah our schools are filled with books that are in, that contain a great deal of really graphic um, pornography. So, first of all, do you want to kind of share with us, like, what is happening in our schools? And then maybe you can explain why, why, what we're doing about this, and why we're having such a hard time winning. It. And then, you know, then we'll talk about what we can do about it. So, tell us what what's happening in our schools. Well, unfortunately, there's been a lot of books brought into the schools that are full of sexually explicit content on a variety of of topics. But it's just there have been just a myriad of them brought into the libraries. And so this was was starting to be brought to the attention of, you know, different people. It was brought to the attention of Representative Ivory. And so last session, the 2022 session, he passed his bill, the sensitive material to minors bill. And he was so smart the way he did it. He used the same language as what district employees are prohibited from acquiring or from looking at. He took it right, that language right from the district employees handbook and put it in his law. So, and that law passed, so that was like March of this year, 2022, that law passed, and unfortunately, there has been a great reticence by by some in the school districts to remove these books, and I know in Davis District, there are, are still these books, and that's where I live, so that's where I'm the most familiar with, but uh, I know the lady that has been really spearheading this i know her directly and those books are still at the libraries they are still in the libraries and so unfortunately you have 
you know, you have so many wonderful people, but then you'll run into a librarian or an employee that just says, we're not, we're not removing them. Mm-mm. And yeah. it's, they just say we're not going to, and they just don't have no concern about repercussions, being fired or anything happening to them. They're just saying no. That, and then they accuse us of wanting to book, ban books. They call exactly. us book banners. Yes, and that's just what they do to try to get off topic. It's just, uh, you know, an age-old tactic is just revert to uh, a general kind of name-calling or, you know, something like that to try to avert the topic, which is sexually appropriate, sexually explicit material that is against the law being in the libraries that they will not remove when we know of the of what it has the potential to do to our youth. And there's just no excuse. There is no excuse for this. There is no excuse for it. And it's so it's so unbelievable to me that we have these adults that are librarians and principals that are in the schools and teachers that are giving assignments. I have a friend who She's got two sons in public school and they were given an assignment to read specific books and they took the books home and they were reading and they ran into, her sons have been well educated by their mother as to what to do when they come across pornography. So they came across all this vile pornography and they, of course, showed it to their mother. She went to the principal and he's like, oh, well, you know what? There's, you can always read an alternative book. And she's like, well, the teacher said this was a mandatory assignment and we weren't given an option. And even if they were, so now her kids have already been exposed to it because they've already read all of this rot. But even if they were, even if they didn't, all of the other children have been exposed. The entire classes, all this is in junior high school, all of those classes, hundreds of children have all been exposed by their teachers and their administration by those that we teach our children to give respect to and regard, they've been exposed to this pornography and and that in a way is also telling them indirectly that it's fine. That's telling them it's acceptable, it's fine, there's nothing wrong with it. Because when you're, your hierarchy, your, those that have authority over you tell you you're supposed to do something, they're validating it. So this is this is a really big problem. And yeah, this is what I'm finding is that the librarians and the teachers and principals are in no, they're not really worried about getting this out and taking these books out. And we're not suggesting book banning. We're not saying burn all those books. We're just saying they shouldn't be in public schools. They are legally protected from that. We have laws to protect them. So, Jenny, what can we do about this as parents and as citizens? Well, these kinds of things, they never flourish with more light exposed on them. It just takes more and more light. These kinds of things, they they have to continue mostly unknown for it to be successful. So what what people need to do is they need to call you know email or call their their principal of whatever whatever school their children go to and tell them 
you know, that you have an expectation that none of these books are available to the children, that we know that that is illegal and that we expect our children to be protected when they're at school. And it just it just takes more and more people putting pressure on him because the more sunlight that goes on, eventually, I believe that they will be removed if there's if there are more voices. I love I love what you said about more light because these things cannot they hide in darkness. They, they do not hide in the light. In the light. Yep. That's they very, very good advice. So we need to shine light on it. So we need for exactly. people to know it's happening. We need to expose. Now, you and I have both been in committee meetings in the legislature when we've gone in and we've read the pornography in committee to the legislators. And tell tell everybody, tell our audience, what happens when you start reading this stuff in the legislature? What do they say? Oh. Well, everybody in the room is embarrassed. Yes. And <laughs> horrified. And they are. Everyone is horrified. And I mean, there's nobody that would that would say anything except for this is this is not okay. This is reprehensible. And you know, when when it's really just put out there like that, I mean, it, it just how could you nobody cannot speak against it. Yeah, and they don't want it read. They say it's inappropriate. Yeah. It's inappropriate to to read that in public. This is completely inappropriate. Yeah. Yes. And I'm sure you've, I know you go to school board meetings all the time, and I know I have, where you you read this, and many parents across the nation have, they go in and read it, and they get shut down. They said, do not speak like that in this meeting. That is completely inappropriate. And yet yes. they want our young people, our children, to be exposed to it. Yep, but it is just lurking there in the libraries because, yes. you know, it's just the irony of it sometimes. It's just too much, too much. It is to too much. Okay, so Jen, you gave us some really, really great advice. You're saying that what we need to do is, first of all, we need to be aware of what our kids are reading. We've got yes. to know because I know when I was in in school from elementary all the way high school, my parents told me to go to school. They made me go. They wanted me to be there. They told me to honor and respect my authorities. Um, there were a lot of things that happened, even back in the olden days when I was in school, a lot of things that happened that I was so surprised that my parents were okay with it. Because This is not aligned with my parents and their values, and yet they are okay with it. I never discussed it with them. I never took it home. I never told my parents what was going on. Well, because in my little brain, I thought that they knew. I right. thought they knew what was happening because they told me to go and I thought my parents knew what was happening. So it never occurred to me that I needed to inform them. So I didn't right. discuss it with them. And so that's something I think we need to do as parents. Tell oh, your children, absolutely. these are the things to watch for. Here's what you need to know. You need to come to me immediately if you have anything yes. inappropriate. Exactly. And it's just called, yes, that is so important. And I would just say to, to every parent listening, you better be involved with, with their, their English class. You better know what books they're being told to read. And you can look up books on Common Sense Media, just like you can look up uh, movies. And you need to do a little, a little research into the books and make sure that you feel, and, and it's better 
if you could email the English teacher and say, I want to know what books you'll be having them read this year and try to get some of those books and look into them instead of just leaving it for your child to stumble across something. You know, if you, if you can look into it beforehand and then say to the teacher, you know, this, this book, we will not be reading this book. And it's actually a state law that they are supposed to give you a commensurate assignment. But like you said, if you make, you know, if you're able to sound the, the warning cry, you never know, maybe you could get the book changed and then you can spare other children. Because like you said, we don't want other children exposed to things either. But I mean, at, at the very least, we've got to protect our own kids. So get, be involved with what they're reading and what they're doing. Jen, that is really great advice is to find out what the books are going to be, what the assignments are going to be. Check those books out because not only can you save your own child, just as you said, Dr. Jen, you can save all the other children. And this is important because our children are going to date, be friends with, marry uh, the rest of the children in society. And that will affect, so it does have a very a very direct effect upon us and our families. We don't live in bubbles. We do connect with each other. So it's very important. Okay, Jen. Yes. I was going to tell you, my neighbor called me because her child that was in seventh grade English was reading a book that she was reading the book to her out loud as she was um, going to sleep. And just because she had asked her to help her with it. And my friend was appalled by what she came across. So she called me. We ended up going in meeting with the district and they did remove that book from being used. And so, you know, we, we had a success on that one. That is fantastic. I will testify that Dr. Jen does carry a lot of weight. She's very highly respected. People know she knows her stuff. She's done her research. She goes, she doesn't go in there whining. She goes in there with evidence and she explains in the very civil way. And I think this is also very important. Dr. Jen always um, carries herself with such demeanor, always respectful of others. And because she's done her homework and because she's respectful and polite, people do listen to her and she is able to get great results. And that's really good advice for all of us. We need to be always respectful but we need to go in armed and we need to act. And that is something that I have so much respect for you, Jen, is that you have been very, very, very busy. You work, you have five boys. Uh, You are extremely important, but uh, very busy with so many things and do so many things. You are always engaged and involved and you make a difference. Yes, and like you said, we can be clear, but we can do it with respect and with a tone of voice that is calm. And truly, that is how we get our best results. I really believe that. I think people respect that more and people want to be treated respectfully. And if we treat people well, they're much more apt to listen to us. We always try that first. We always try it first. Sometimes we might have to get a little bit um, (laughs) more energy going, but we always want to treat them, you know, feed them honey before we bring out vinegar, right? For sure. Okay, yeah. we have just a minute. Do you have any last minute things that you want to share with us, Jen? Um, you know what? Just that we're all in this together and the the main thing is don't let something go. Don't don't just say, "Oh, I should have said something to the teacher, but I didn't." It really matters. Sometimes only one parent saying something, the teacher will say, "Oh, I better I better change that because most of the most people 
you know, don't want the confrontation. So just don't let anything go. And thank you, everybody. Welcome back. You are listening to the Loving Liberty Network, and this is the Liberty Mom Show. Liberty Moms are the original secretaries of defense. We are the real defenders of the home front, and we are there when it comes to defending our communities and our families. We're so happy to have you join us. I'm Delaine England, and we are going to be discussing the very foundation of America, and that is natural law. I, I want to go back to the beginning, and so we go like, where is the beginning? But the beginning is, the beginning of America is far before America was ever formed. But it was formed on the basis of natural law. And this is really, really important because as any time we discuss really anything, anything, you always have to look at the foundation. And if you ever take the foundation out of any structure or any organization, if you remove the foundation, what happens to the entire structure? The entire structure falls and it fails. And America was founded on natural law. And we are removing, I see ourselves removing that foundation or ignoring and really changing our belief system rather than adhering to natural law. And that is literally causing our entire country to collapse. And so I feel like one of the most important things we can do is start to understand natural law and to reinstitute our belief system with something that is true. Because whether we believe it or not, natural law is still natural law. It is eternal. It's universal. It exists always. It applies to everyone. Whether we believe it or understand it, it still applies. And so it's important for us to understand it because if we don't understand it, uh, we will literally violate it to our own demise. And so I want to talk about what natural law is because people have different misconceptions of what natural law is. And it's natural law is integrated into our, our American legal system. And it's really like the, the legal theory of what we consider where our laws are based on. And it's a, one word that we can use is morality, moral law. It means that we, natural law is the philosophy of human nature. It's how we govern ourselves. It's our understanding that we universally understand right versus wrong. It's right think. It's understanding there's laws of nature. We understand as human beings, because we have reasoning, we understand that that taking the life of one person, everyone understands that that is wrong. Everyone understands that that um, holding someone accountable for taking the life of someone, that is right, that that is important and it's essential. We I look back on Cicero. Now, Cicero was very... He obviously did a great deal of research. He was a great philosopher, and this was something that he very much studied and and worked on educating others on natural law. And he said 
that the building of a society on the principle of natural law was nothing more and nothing less than recognizing and identifying the rules of right conduct with the laws of the supreme creator of the universe. So regardless of what you might call God, the supreme creator, whatever you think that is, it's natural law is aligning with and recognizing and identifying that there are there is right conduct. There is something that is right. There is something that is wrong. And this is very important because we're living in a society right now where people are being, they're just saying, well, I'm aligned with my truth. I, if I think it's wrong, it's wrong. But if I don't think it's wrong, it's not wrong. But natural law says if it's wrong, it is wrong. If it's right, it is right. But we have to go back to our moral compass to these moral virtues and these natural laws to understand, we all would agree that taking a life, killing someone, murdering someone, when do people think that that's okay? Only if they have rejected and lost track of their moral compass. Um, Cicero, again, concluded that once the reality of the creator is clearly identified, the only intelligent approach to government and justice and the creator has already established. So the creator's order of things is called natural law. And that's really important. And we see again in our society this determination and really people working very hard to get rid of our creator, to take the creator out of our civilization out of our government, out of our laws, and make laws that just based on emotions and how people feel rather than based on what is true. And the creator's order is natural law. The fundamental presupposition of natural law is a man's reasoning power. It sets us apart from animals or any other form of life. Man has the ability to reason and to think and to understand. Animals go by instinct. They exist by instinct. They can't reason things out where man has the ability from our creator to actually think things through and to reason things out. And we got that from our creator. We got that from our creation. And... Because we have that, we are able to understand and figure things out. And this, as Cicero would express, is very self-evident. You don't even have to believe in Christianity or really be religious to understand there is such a thing as right and wrong. And why this is so important is because our, in America, especially our American legal system is founded on natural law, right in our Declaration of Independence in the very, very first paragraph. Jefferson makes this very clear. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them to another. And upon the laws of nature and nature's God entitled them. And so the entire declaration is founded on that natural law and our entire constitution is founded on 
the principles of the Declaration. And it basically is saying we have the ability and the right to govern ourselves. We don't want to be governed by a, an authority figure, a monarch, a dictator, or any other kind of governmental organization that we can understand good and bad natural law, that laws that humans create are motivated by morality as to being opposed to the laws that are created by a monarch or a dictator or others seeking to wield power over us. They use their emotions and what they want to have happen instead of a moral compass or the laws of nature, human nature. And we wanted to govern ourselves. And we said, you know what, as a nation, our founders said, we have been trying this and we've been very successful. We maybe are not as righteous as we should be. We maybe are not always governing ourselves by right, but we know what's right and wrong. And we believe that we can govern ourselves based on this human nature to determine what laws are right and what what is right and what is wrong and make our laws accordingly. And they are created, our laws in America are created in accordance with right and wrong. And if we obey natural law, we can flourish. We can be happy, successful, and ever so free and prosperous, where if we violate the laws of natural law, we cannot be. It absolutely violates everything. Natural law in our legal system is is literally the foundation or centered around the belief that everything in life has a purpose and that our human purpose, our purpose as human beings is to create value, to serve other people, to be good and to be self-sufficient. That's a very important part of self-governance is to be self-sufficient. We felt that we could be self-sufficient and take care of ourselves and that our behaviors and our actions can deliberately create positivity and create positive results or our actions and behaviors can deliberately obstruct that simple goal. And when we do that, it's unnatural law or immoral law. And we really understood that for over 200 years. We've really understood that for for more than 250 years. Just as everything is deemed to have a purpose in natural law, we also felt that our legislative laws are created in that same way, that there is a reason and a purpose behind each one of those laws that we create and the laws that we create in our legislature and in our Congress, they are to be created in alignment with natural law. Once we start creating laws, they're not aligned with net with natural law. We will sabotage our nation and we can see that that's happened. We have already seen that happen. Um, Our founding fathers, define natural law as true law. And true law is right reason in agreement with nature. That's what true law is. Think about that. 
True law is right reason in agreement with nature. It doesn't fight against nature. It's very natural. And it has a universal application. It's unchanging. It's unalterable. It's everlasting. And as I said, it applies to everyone. That's what's so amazing about it. Where emotional law or the making up our own laws out of our own desires, our own, just our own feelings, because feelings, think about what feel is it? Is there anything that you can't justify with your feelings? If you're angry with someone, can you justify a lot of bad behavior? We, we, establish this nation on these really critical principles so that we wouldn't be guided by emotion and feelings which are changing, which change all the time, and which do not align with each other. I might feel one way, and you could feel a completely different way about the exact same situation where the rule of law and natural law aligned with, rule of law being aligned with natural law, it's set. And that way we all can be treated equally we can all have equal representation, equal treatment, equal, and be treated as we have equal value. Um, according to Cicero, it is a sin to try to alter natural law, nor is it allowable to repeal any part of it. And it is literally impossible to abolish it entirely. We cannot abolish natural law. It is human nature. It is right reason. It is in our DNA. It is how we were created. We cannot be freed from its obligations by our emotions or by laws of man. We do not need to look outside of ourselves for someone else to determine. Natural law is within us. And, you know, Cicero definitely experienced this and saw that it's no different than in the time of Rome and even Athens, Greece. They had laws that were aligned with natural law and they were successful and their, their countries and their civilizations thrived and they did well. But as soon as they started to violate those laws, and they started to make up their own laws and started to not guide and govern by reason, but by emotion, what happened to their civilization. It is very important to understand and to bring our nation back to these philosophies and these theories. Well, they're, they're not really theories, they're really philosophies because they are in the immutable, they are within nature itself. And it is this divine gift that we have of reason that we are able to understand and to know and govern by that. Between man and other creatures, there is just such a gigantic gap when this mental process, because we are the only beings that have this ability to reason out and to understand natural law. We got it from our creator. And I, I just, we cannot overstate how important that is because 
we must acknowledge and go back to reason and embrace this in order to stand as a nation. We've got to teach our children. We've got to teach our citizens, other citizens, and we must embrace this because we can see we're living in a time when people are so confused, so removed from natural law that and from reason that they are embracing this emotional belief system that is, it. I don't know what else to call it, but it's crazy that people don't know their own sex, that people can't describe what a woman is. They can't define a woman. This is so self-evident. It's so, it is really natural law that we know what a woman is. We know what a man is. It's self-evident. It is in the laws of nature. Again, Cicero said, the animal which we call man endowed with foresight and quick intelligence, complex, keen, possessing memory, full of reason and prudence, has been given a certain distinguished status by the supreme God who created him. For he is the only one among so many different kinds and varieties of living beings who has a share of reason and thought, which all the rest are deprived of it. But what is more divine, I will not say in man only, but in all heaven and earth, than reason. And reason, when it is full grown and perfected, is rightly called wisdom. Oh, I love that so much because do we not, as human beings, want to not just be intelligent, but we want to be wise. And we definitely see people who are ever so educated and very intelligent, but they lack wisdom and how important wisdom is to the essence of our being. We must incorporate wisdom. Have you noticed that there is such a push across our country? You might think it's by accident. I absolutely believe it's by design to create chaos this defund the police, this allowing riots to take place. This is creating such a state of chaos. And if you look back in history, through all of civilization, people have lived under tyranny many, many times, under lots of, between Chairman Mao, Hitler, um, Lenin, Stalin. There have been so many times when people lived under tyranny. They lived under dictatorships, communism, socialism, monarchy, and even theocracies can be that way. But they lived under this absolute oligarchy where a one person or a small group of people had complete control over everything else. And people didn't like it. It's not, there's no freedom there. It's not very nice. But the one thing that people hate more than tyranny is what? What is worse than tyranny? There's only one thing, and that is anarchy. When there is absolute, complete, no regard for right reason, there's no regard for natural law, there's no regard for life, no regard for liberty, no regard for someone's property, 
that is anarchy, 0% government. And people will, there's one thing people will beg for when they're living in chaos, and that is tyranny. People would rather live under tyranny than anarchy any day and every day. So they will literally ask for it. And so we see that that is really the state of America right now. It's really worldwide. We see this chaos happening. And it's very important that we don't engage in this and that we don't retaliate in like-mindedness, in like-kind, that we go back to reasoning and thinking things through to reinstituting natural law and saying there is something called right and wrong and that we know the difference we inherently inherent in who we are know what is right and what's wrong and stop acting like we don't know and we're confused by it and we think well we just want we only care about people how people feel we're more consumed with feelings and what people think and how they feel than we are by actually knowing what is right and what is wrong. We're born with this to a degree of knowledge. Of course, we don't know everything that's right and wrong, but we are born knowing within us inherently, and that's what natural law is. We know that there is right. We all know what is right and what is wrong regarding those natural laws. And so it is one of our sacred responsibilities that we have in having our rights in America is that we also have sacred responsibilities and a covenant with the creator and with this nation for those who sacrificed everything that they had so that we could have a state of liberty. And we could only govern ourselves if we were willing to acknowledge and embrace right. And we have to restore our moral compass. It's not just a matter of semantics. It's a matter of of absolutely foundational laws. It is essential. And until we're willing to go back and embrace that, we will not be able to succeed or survive as a nation. Human rights are very different than natural rights. Human rights are derived by society. They include things that like we have a right to live safe and we have a right to live in a dwelling. We have a right to our homes and a right to have healthy food and maybe even health care. People think that some people have a right to health care. You have to think about, do we have a right to someone else's labor? That's called slavery. That is a violation of natural law, natural rights. We don't have a right to someone else's life or their labors, but we do have a right to protect our own life and to protect our own liberty. And so we have to distinguish between natural right and natural law and the distinction between human rights and human law. Natural law is also incorporated in that is the right to life, which is given to us by our creator. So life, liberty, and the right to own property, but not the right to anyone else's property. And sometimes we tend to embrace 
human rights, um, which are what society has given us. So they can work and they do work. In America, they work very hand in hand and they have until as of late when we start to embrace emotions and feelings over natural law between what is right and wrong. So I invite everyone to do your own research and start thinking about the difference between natural rights and human rights, between natural law and governmental law. And our governmental law has, our constitution is totally and 100% aligned with natural law. And the more we study the constitution and study those principles in it, the more that, that we see that they are aligned. And I just want to remind you that you are the guardian of your liberty. Have a beautiful day.